You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. So a Roman parade would reflect these sort of values. Traditionally, the governor paraded into um, Jerusalem on the first day of the Passover week, um, and he came in entering the, the, the West Gate. If we could just go back to the slide before. Thanks. Um, the, typic, the typical procession would be full of legions of chariots of mighty war horses, foot soldiers dressed for battle, uh, armory and swords. There'd be gold and riches on display. There'd be banners of Roman symbols. All this was to communicate the power and glory of the Roman Empire. This parade was about oppression. Uh, it was about economic, social, military and religious oppression. Just have the next slide. But this particular Passover week, there would be another person coming in from the eastern side. Jesus would come in, as we'll hear in a moment, through Bethany and Bethphage, through the opposite gate. And that leads us to our passage today. So I'll just ask Emmeline to come up and, and give us a passage. If we could just encourage her. Coral was uh, unable to be here today, so Emmy's filled in at the last moment, if we could just encourage her. Good morning, everyone. Um, so the reading for today is Luke 19, um, 28 to 44. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away sent, went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your, your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Thank you, Emmy. Um, so the title I've chosen for today is Jesus, a different king for a different kingdom. In worldly times, Jesus' background could hardly have been more different to Pilate's. Jesus was born likely in a dirty animal cave into a low socioeconomic family. 
We know that because of his father's occupation as a, as a carpenter or perhaps stone worker. We know that from where they lived. We also know that because when Mary and Jesus presented Jesus at the temple, they offered the sacrifice that was permitted for the poorer folk to give. Uh, it was a pair of turtle doves or pigeons rather than a lamb. Jesus spent time as a persecuted refugee in a foreign country. He then moved to a backwater village called Nazareth. Hence, in other parts of the New Testament, a guy called Nathaniel made a sarcastic remark, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So that was Jesus' background. He spent a lot of time with outcasts. He spent a lot of time with unclean, people like the sick, the lepers, poor, prostitutes, tax collectors. And, and he spent a lot of time with ordinary folk out in the countryside and small towns and villages. He often clashed with, or at least lovingly confronted, the elite. So it's not surprising that his parade would look a little bit different to Pilate's. Uh, so we'll get back to the, to the parade of Jesus. Now, if I was reading that passage for the first time, I reckon one of the first things I would ask would be, what is going on with this thing about Jesus and the cult? Uh, the, the, the different gospels refer to a cult of a donkey. Um, well, if you think about, perhaps think about Steve Gray's birthday party later this afternoon. <laughs> this just came to me, Steve, sorry, I'm just going to run off. Um, there'll, be, there'll be visual visual things put up to announce to everyone at Steve's birthday. There might be signs, there might be balloons, there might be cakes. There'll be visual stuff happening. There'll also be verbal stuff happening, hopefully. There'll be singing of happy birthday and saying happy birthday. Jesus is doing a very similar thing and making a massive statement here. He's deliberately set this up with the cult to make a very big announcement. You see, there was a very famous Old Testament prophecy in the book of Zechariah and that was written centuries before. Uh, and I'll just read it, read it through now. Um, Zechariah 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. So this prophecy is talking about the messianic king. You'll notice the themes are the opposite of oppression. There's a bringing of release of the prisoners. That is like a new exodus. He's bringing salvation, he's bringing peace. And it's a rule that's not just for Israel, but to all the nations. Uh, it's important to realize the Jewish concept of peace uh, was very much connected with restoration of relationship with God. That, that term of peace was always joined to a restored relationship uh, with God. As well as salvation and, and peace, uh, interestingly, there's also a reference to a blood covenant. So again, there's these themes of Exodus, the freeing of slaves, but also a, a blood sacrifice in this passage and um, 
in, and to do with the, the coming Messiah King. So in deliberately riding into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, Jesus is making a public visible announcement that he is claiming to be the Messiah King. He's also inferring what he's going to be on about, what he's going to be doing. So it's unlikely that any Jew watching this parade would have missed the significance of this. These were famous passages and well known. And the next few verses show that there's no doubt at this stage they recognise Jesus' claim of kingship. Uh, as the people lay cloaks on the road, they may be referring back to a passage in 2 Kings where God anointed Jehu as the new king and people put cloaks on the stairs under him. Some in the crowd may also have recalled the Old Testament book of Ezekiel and that talked about the glory of the Lord coming to the east gate. But when the people cry out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they are quoting a messianic psalm, a psalm about the Messiah, Psalm 118. Basically, they're shouting out that Jesus is the God-anointed Messiah King. So at this point, it's not surprising that the Pharisees lose it. When they demand that Jesus silences the crowd, they're, they're effectively telling Jesus to stop the blasphemy. They're saying, this is wrong, this shouldn't be happening. Um, Jesus' response to the Pharisees is very telling. He says, I tell you, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. He's making another Old Testament reference there. Uh, but more importantly, Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms that he accepts this title that the crowd is giving him. And not only that, he's saying that this announcement is so important, if the people don't make it, God will cause the very stones on the ground to cry out this announcement. It's a big deal. So at this point we've got multiple Old Testament prophecies rushing together both visually and audibly. We've got the crowd crying out praises to the king and Jesus himself is embracing the title. You put all this together, Jesus is proclaiming loudly and clearly to the people that he is the long-awaited Messiah King. And that makes the next verses all the more stunning. So apparently on the Mount of Olives, you get a fantastic view overlooking Jerusalem. Um, I've never been there. I'd love to do one of those tours of Israel one day. Has anyone ever done those? Yeah, a few of us. Right. Did you go to Mount Olivet? Yeah. Did you see a view of Jerusalem? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so it's quite spectacular, is it? Yeah, so, so Jesus would have had this spectacular view uh, of Jerusalem. Uh, but as he sees that view, he starts to weep. And I'll just read his, his words again. Would that even you have known on this day the things that make for peace. In other words, he's saying, I was here and I was offering peace through a restored relationship with God. Now they're hidden from your eyes. He predicts the destruction of Jerusalem, which would happen in a few decades' time. And he says, They will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. I don't know about you, but I find that one of the most chilling, tragic verses in the Bible. You did not know the time of your visitation. 
Um, Jesus knows the majority will reject his claim of kingship. In a few days' time, the Gospel of John tells us Pontius Pilate will be shouting to the crowd incredulously, shall I crucify your king? The reply will come from the Pharisees, we have no king but Caesar. Um, so how did they miss it? How did, why did they reject Jesus' claim as king? How did they deny the offer of peace in a restored relationship with God that Jesus was, was offering? Um, on this point, the Bible scholars and commentators all agree. The, the Jewish expectation in Jerusalem for the Messiah King would be basically he would get up, smash the Romans, drive them out of the country and put Israel back on top where it belonged. Um, back in verse 11 in this chapter of Luke, it says they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Um, they, they had their own expectation of what the king should be doing. In other words, they wanted a Roman governor type parade, just bigger and stronger and, and on their side. The problem was the Old Testament prophecies had always talked about salvation going out from Israel to all the nations. They'd also predicted the Messiah would have to suffer and die and Jesus himself had said that on several occasions. The Jews are right in that scripture is clear about a future parade, a future victory when the kingdom will be fully restored. There will be a victory parade at that time. Jesus will be leading it and will be in it. We do have that hope, this reality ahead of us. But before that parade can happen, the captives need to be freed. The kingdom needs a people to be in it. So Jesus invites us to follow him in this first parade, to, to be in his parade, if you like. His parade was a parade of humble, sacrificial, loving service to God and others. Jesus said the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. He said people in authority reap benefits, but I am among you as one who serves. Jesus gave some other clear pictures of what his parade would look like. He said we join him when we feed the hungry, when we give thirsty a drink, when we welcome a stranger, if we clothe people, visit the sick, those in prison. We saw a great example of this um, with Samao and Kirsten today. Telling the people good news, this is what following Jesus in his parade looks like. Jesus summed up the purpose of his parade when he talked about himself quoting Isaiah, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To me, that's an awesome parade to be part of. And I think Jesus invites us and he challenges us as, as individuals, as a church family, day by day, to make choices to join his, his parade. Amen.